We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. You remember when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and uh, everybody was telling him, don't go, don't go, because it's going to be, you know, it's trials. And, and basically what Paul said is, no, I have to go. I have to finish my race with joy. Finish my race with joy. And you know what? Tonight, I, I think in many ways, I think that's kind of what the Lord wants to encourage us in, you know, I know I, I maybe sound like a broken record, but I, that's just in my heart. You know, I don't want to see anyone disqualified. I don't want to see anyone in any way slowed down or put in neutral or put out, pull over on the side of the road. I mean, my prayer, you guys, is what, whatever it is that we were made to do in this life, whatever time that we have in this place, that we would do that, that we would finish our race with joy. You guys, you know, because uh, one day we're going to die. I always tell people i am a got to preach like a dying man to dying men because none of us know when. And so we got to like take these things to heart. And you're going to see today um, that that's what the Lord wants to encourage us in. He wants us to finish our race with joy. They're going to do that today. But let me ask you a question. Is it going to be easy? It's not it's not going to be easy. I mean, you're going to have some you're going to have some battles. You know, the enemy is not going to just let you do whatever God wants you to do without fighting you. But, you know, um, like I tell you all the time, I mean, we're no match for the enemy, but he's no match for God. And God lives in you. And if you choose to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be defeated. And so we got to know that, you know. But, but look what we read here in Ezra 4. It says in verse 1, Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. I mean, they didn't want nothing to do with that. They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, and King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Now, you remember, and I don't know if you guys are like into dates or not, um, you know, but just in case you are, you know, like right around uh, 606 B.C., uh, the Babylonians began to take the, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah to Babylon, captivity, slavery. Seventy years later, right around uh, 536 B.C., they arrive back in Jerusalem. Seventy years, right? Just like the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, they had been spanked because of their sin. They had been disciplined, but God brought them back to the land. You know, and, you know, when you look at that, it's, it's kind of cool, you know, how God would bring them back. A lot of times, then people don't go back. They never come back. They go down and they stay dead. I mean, 
the reality of it is um, we see that over and over again. It happens to marriages. It happens to people that I see who has so much potential serving the Lord with a golden heart. And they're not serving the Lord anymore. They're not even going to church anymore. And some people say, well, they never knew the Lord. I don't know. All I know is this, that they were once sitting where you're sitting and they're not anymore. And so what happens? Well, a lot of times people will drift away. Sometimes they'll stay away. But I'll tell you what, you don't have to. Luke 15, the prodigal son says, when you're over there, you can come to your senses and you can come back to God. And that's what the, the children of Judah are now doing. They come back and they come back to do what? To build the temple of the Lord. You know, did you guys know that you're building? I mean, I believe that with all my heart. You know, you're building. You're building your family. How beautiful is that? You know, if you're married here, you've, you've got some construction going on. You're building your family. And if you've got your kids, so, so beautiful. And a lot of times, it doesn't end when they move out of the house. You're still building them up in the most holy faith. You know, we're building, man. We're building our family. or We're building a ministry. It could be a church. It could be part of the church or a parachurch ministry. But we're building things you know sometimes it's literally construction you know i can't wait to the day lord willing we get a building you know a building and we get gabe over there and he'll just take over and do all that kind of stuff and you know the lord can do that i just as reading through this i'm like lord i just i just know one day you're gonna plant a church like that here in the city of almani i just know it you know, we were building, you guys, and, and as we're building, we see the enemy will therefore oppose us. And so that's what we read there in verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, they heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. You know, and so adversary, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, Satan, Satan, that, that title, Satan, means adversary and so he's not just going to sit down he's going to try to come against you now the first time a lot of times he'll come against you he'll come as a serpent right that's how he came to eve that's how he came and deceived eve and she fell into sin and that's through deception and so they come in verse two and you know these are the samaritans these are those that they had, it's a, it's a crazy history when you look at the northern kingdom of Israel, what had happened with the Assyrians had come in, and they had taken uh, the people of the northern kingdom away, and they brought, you know, foreigners to the land, and so they're there in the land, they planted them there in the northern kingdom, and then next thing you know, all the animals and lions started eating them, and so they were complaining and saying, hey, you know, we got a problem here, we don't know how to serve the gods of this local place right here and so they send a few priests of israel there and then what ended up happening was there was a blended religion it was a little bit of judaism a little bit of polytheism it was a whole bunch of stuff in a melting pot and there was a mixed race mixed religion they didn't really have a heart for god they didn't know the lord and so when you know this work this genuine work of god begins to take place how does the enemy try to stop it? He said, I know what, infiltration. I'll go in there and they ask, hey, can we join you? Let us build with you. You know, I'll tell you this. You read the book of Ezra, towards the end, the main problem, unequally yoked. 
That was the main problem. We're going to see later. They ended up getting married with people who were not non-believers. They were not believers. They were not, you know, Jews. And it was a big problem. You know, and the enemy will come in, and some of you single ladies or single guys here, and they'll come in, and there's that, you know, that, that guy. He's, maybe he's got a nice car. He's got some money. Or she's the Bathsheba. She's the 10 that you always thought you wanted, but you really don't, you know. And they sweep you away. You know, be careful. Or they'll come into the church and, you know, they say they're Christians, but they're not. And they want to join you. It's through infiltration, right? The enemy plants uh, the tares among the wheat. The cool thing is the discernment that was here. These guys loved the Lord so much that they would not have any part of it. They said, no way. I mean, it's so cool. We read there in verse 3, Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And so good job, right? So does the enemy go away and give up? Absolutely not. So if he doesn't succeed as a snake... He'll come back as a lion. The first one is through deception. That's why you have to have your spiritual antennas up. You have to have that. You have to have supernatural discernment. But if that doesn't work, then he's going to come with, after infiltration, intimidation. And this is big. Look what we read. It says in verse 4, Then the people of the land tried to discouraged the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. What did they try to do? They, they, verse 4, they tried to discourage, discourage. Courage just means, you know, I'm, I'm like a David. I'm, I'm bold. I, I'm not afraid of Goliath, right? To discourage is all the other guys, all the other guys sitting on the sideline, including Saul, right? And that's what ends up happening, you know? I mean, I would probably say 90% of our failures to go and gain the land that the Lord has for us is because we are afraid. We are afraid of so many things. and We don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid because God is with you. Well, I don't know if he's with me. Yes, he's with you and he's for you. And he loves you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Goliath, he may be nine foot tall and, you know, he comes and he tries to intimidate everyone else shaking on their boots. That doesn't have to be you. And so he comes to discourage them and to trouble them. And, and literally in the Hebrew, you know, to bribe officers to, to frustrate them. And then, and then what ends up happening is you're going to see as we go through our study tonight... Ten years wasted. Ten years. You know, and that happens to people sometimes, you know. You guys, I, I get excited. I was watching the worship group that was up here, and I was looking at each and every one of them. 
And I was thinking, wow, Lord, look at what you've done. Now, of course, they're all a work in progress, and they would probably all say, you know, I'm, man, I'm, you know, messed up. I'm messed up too, you know. But when you think of, man, the work that God has done in our lives, it's just amazing to me. And I think of the potential that, that they have to lead people into the throne room of, of worshiping God. There's nothing like that. All of us here, we all have gifts. We all have talents. We all have a place in the body of Christ. None greater than the other. But, you know, you see the potential. But then, you, you know, as a pastor, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, uh, I don't know, like 25 years or something like that involved in the ministry. I started when I was two, right around there. And, <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, but you just see that a lot of people with so much potential. And they get sidetracked. And the enemy comes in and just in so many creative, cunning ways as a snake, as a lion. You're like, man, what a drag. What a drag. Someone with so much potential to bring glory to God, change the world, save the lost, build up the church. They traded in for what? For sex? They traded in for drugs? They traded in for drinking? They traded in for entertainment? I mean, what? You guys, we're serving the living God. And so here we see the enemy comes in and he wants to bring frustration, right, to their, to their purpose. We read that there in verse 5. I mean, in this, basically, when you look at verse 4 and 5, what he's saying is this. It's kind of interesting when you look at it. The whole time, the whole time they're building, and we're going to see it really extends for... 21 years, 11 years they're actually building, 10 years they stop. But over that whole 21-year process, we're going to see like uh, six years they started. The whole time the enemy is coming against us, 10 years they, they stop. Again, another five years, the whole time coming against them. And you guys, so we're in a battle. We have to know that, right? In verse 6, all the way to verse uh, 23, it's like a, parenth a parenthetical section. And what that is, is like um, basically, you know, these are some of the ways that they have experienced opposition. And we read here in, in verse uh, 6, now it talks about in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. He's just giving another example of the way the enemy opposed them. You guys know what Satan means? Satan is adversary, so he comes against you. Do you know what the, the devil is? Devil is a slanderer and or the accuser. So he's always accusing you to yourself. He's always accusing you even to others. And that's what we see going on here. He mentions in verse 7, in the days of Artaxerxes also. So these are different times. Also, uh, Bislam, Mithridath, Tabal, and the rest of their companions, they wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to king Artaxerxes in this fashion. So he's giving an example and again, you got to know this, basically the whole time the enemy 
is opposing. This is an example. He writes a letter from Rehum, the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the Dinaites, and that word right there, the Tarpolites, the people of Persia, and Erech, and Babylon, and Shushan, the Dehavites, the Elamites. All I know is there's a lot of people coming against them, right? And the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river and so forth. This is the copy of the letter that they sent him. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are rebuilding are building the rebellious and evil city <laughs> and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Question, is that true? It's not true. The enemy is a liar. Remember that, right? I mean, they're here to build a temple to worship God. That's what they're doing. Let it, let it now be known to the king that if this city, and they're talking, oh, no, they're building the whole city. Well, if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that they may search, be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition, Within the city in former times for which cause this city was destroyed, we inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. I mean, it's just uh, lies. And again, it's interesting because this is different time frames. And we're talking about opposition during the, the work of Ezra, the work of Nehemiah, the work of Joshua, the work of Zerubbabel. All I can say, you guys, uh, is that there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There's just going to be this opposition. And sometimes, you know, I wake up in the morning and I kind of wish that it wouldn't be there, you know. Lord, you know, let there be no one to oppose me. But um, you guys, that's, that's the nature that we live in at this point, you know. Not until we're home. You know, but until then, we're going to have these oppositions. These guys are coming they're making accusations. And, you know, the way that the enemy works, a little bit of truth and uh, a little bit of lies kind of mixed together. Yeah, there was a season where the Jews were rebellious towards the end, right? But, I mean, bottom line is that's not what they're doing now. They're just seeking the Lord. And so anyways, verse 17, the king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe. To the rest of their companions who dwelt in Samaria and to the remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me and I gave the command and a search has been made and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem. This would be like David and Solomon, right? Who have ruled over all the region beyond the river. That would be the Euphrates. And tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease. You see, you guys, that's all the enemy wants. Just don't seek the Lord. Don't serve the Lord. 
don't stay married. I mean, you name it. Just He just wants to make it stop, right? That this city uh, may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? And so the enemy comes in. He brings the accusations. The governor, the king says, okay, you, yeah, you're right. There has been this history. So you got to make them stop. And so verse 23, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. And so this is the nature of the battle, you guys. Throughout the whole time, this would be the, I guess you could say, the operatus modem, the way that the enemy would come against them. Know this, he just wants you to step down, to get out of the ministry, stop following Christ, don't serve the Lord, don't seek the Lord, don't pray, don't read your Bibles, don't go to church service tonight, or whatever it might be, quit, split. That's what the enemy wants, right? And in this case right here, it's interesting, in verse 24, it says, Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so between the years of 530 and 520 BC, it was a 10-year period, they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, right? And you, you read the book of Haggai, and I totally thought we were going to have time, but um, we're not. You read the book of Haggai and Zechariah, and we're going to see, even in our study today, that those were the two prophets that God used to get them back on track. And, uh, and Haggai is saying, you guys are saying it's not time. That's what Haggai was saying, chapter 1. You guys are saying it's not time. And a lot of times Christians are saying that, well, it's not time. But it is time. It is time. It's time. I mean, a lot of times, well, let me kind of like uh, whatever. And you've got all your million reasons why you should not take a step of faith, right? But man, you know what? Uh, I think it was Billy Sunday. said, those are just uh, excuses stuffed with a lie. I mean, that's all they are. Your reasoning is not right. Haggai said, you guys are saying it's not time, and yet it is time. You guys are paneling your houses. You guys are fixing up your houses, and you're not building up the temple of the Lord. It's cool. When you look at Haggai, really cool the way that he prophesied. First, he corrected them, and then when they got right, he encouraged them. That's what we're supposed to do. And Haggai is so different than Zechariah. I encourage you guys, you get a chance. You go and you read those two books, and you're going to be like, wow, these guys are totally different, but they're prophesying together. Zechariah was one of those guys, he saw visions. And you read his book, I'll be honest with you, it's a little difficult to understand, right? But, you know, that's kind of cool, because that's how it is in the church. We're, we're not clones, we're different. Have you ever noticed some people in the church, they're a little bit more like boom, 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 sub, you know, ob objective, like cut and dry, black and white, and, you know, praise God for them. And then there are others a little bit more sensitive to the spirit, a little bit more subjective. And, and you know, you're like, well, I don't like you and I don't like you. No, we need each other. I like Zechariah, man. He's cool. He sees visions, man. 
And I like uh, Haggai, man, just give me the word. I mean, they're all balanced in the word, right? But we got to be careful because a lot of times we put God in our box. You know, it's kind of funny. I'll tell you guys a story. Yesterday we had, I think, um, man, I think there was 20 kids over our house yesterday. It was cool. We had three families. They all have a whole bunch of kids. It was awesome, right? And there was this one time where they're just hanging all over me, and I loved it. I loved it, to be honest with you. And then they are playing with my watch, and I didn't notice what they were doing, but one of the kids was sending messages, man. And, <laughs> and so today, my wife, she sent me like a little message. She's all, oh, wow, that's whatever, about how something I had sent to my daughter, a message that I had sent to my daughter. And I'm like, what? I didn't send her a message yesterday. And, and it, was, it was, was one of the kids had sent her a message. I don't know how they did that. They did it, obviously, by accident. But, but when, when I saw the message, when I saw what they had sent her, I said, that was God. That was God. See, God, he'll do stuff like that. Oh, no, God doesn't, you can't, no, yeah, he does. You guys, we just have to be, you know, I was, I was like, wow, Lord, you're speaking to me about my relationship with my daughter. And, you know, you listen, and you got Zechariah, you know, the guy with all the visions and stuff, and you read chapter 3, and it's just beautiful because that was when Joshua was clothed in, in rags, and the devil came, and he said, he can't serve you, he's not good enough, and, and that was when Jesus, you know, he comes up, the high priest, the, and he just says, oh, no, he's one of mine. You know, sometimes the devil will come to you and say, you can't serve the Lord because, you know, you know, you don't got it all together. And, you know, I mean, we try to, don't get me wrong, I hate sin because I know what sin does to my father's heart. And I know what sin does to my wife or my kids or the church or to me. I hate sin. I don't want to sin, but I do sometimes. And I, but, I, but I know that I'm forgiven. And you got to go forward in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Zechariah said in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, it's so cool. You guys remember that passage? We always quote it. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's, they're saying this to these guys who are building the temple, who had taken 10 years off. And he's just saying it's by the spirit of God that that mountain will be moved with shouts of grace. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, those are the two guys I was talking about, the son of Ido, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. I mean, how did they get back on track? they started getting into the word. You know, they started listening to the Lord and God began to speak to them. You know, it was the Lord, it was the prophets, right? And so Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, rose up. They responded and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, I like this, helping them, now, I don't know if they were like doing the construction part or if they were just kind of like continue to prophesy, but probably a little bit of both, you know. But it's just so cool to see how God will take that, that word and encourage you. You know, I, I, I would challenge you, be in your word. 
You know, be listening to Bible studies and soak it in because that word of God is a living word. And it will, it will, that seed will find a place and you'll get stirred up. When you find yourself, sometimes we get complacent. We're taking time off. No, it's not time to take time off, man. And so, you know, at the same time, as a result of this, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bazdai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build the temple and finish this wall? You know, because if you notice, they just started doing it. I mean, they didn't get permission. They just got the calling from God. God said, it's time. And so they were like, who, who, where'd you guys, how did that happen? And then accordingly, we told them. And I love what they said, especially you're going to see it in the letter. Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. Look at verse 5. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. I love that. You know, I just love that. I'm telling you guys, man, you know, when we get our eyes on the Lord and, and we realize that in all, at the end of the day that His eyes are on us, that nothing, no one, the hosts of hell and the, the whole wide world cannot stop you and the work that God wants to do in you. And through you, I love the cross-reference here. It's over in Psalm 33, verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy. And I love that passage right there because when you cross-reference it with Haggai, that's exactly what happened. They started fearing the Lord. And they got up and started working the way they're supposed to work. And so... You know, they couldn't stop them. And so it says that a written answer was returned concerning this matter. And they said, this is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent. The governor of the region beyond the river and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. And they sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace, let it be known to the king that we went in the province of Judea to the temple of the great God which is being built. See how it says heavy stones? It literally means rolling stones. It's kind of cool. Because the stones are so big that what they would have to do, and we learned this when we were in Israel, is they put them on logs and uh, they had to roll them there. So these are huge stones. Some of them, we saw some, uh, 31 feet. I mean, just huge. Tons, man. Crazy. So, you know, this temple is being built, timber is being laid in the walls, and I love this, I love this. Look, it says, And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Isn't that cool? I mean, wouldn't that be cool if the enemy said that about us and the work that we're doing? Ah, I see the work they're doing. It's diligent and it's prospering. I mean, to me, that's so cool. So then we asked their elders and spoke to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are, I love this, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built 
and completed. Notice they didn't say it was Cyrus. Oh, yeah, Cyrus told us, you know, back in 538 B.C., and then we got here at 536 B.C., it was Cyrus. No, they said it was God. God is the one. He, we're his servants. He's the God of heaven and earth, not just the God of this, you know, location. Because in those days, that's what they thought. God's at different sections of planet earth. No, he's the God of heaven and earth. We're his servants. And we, we're here to rebuild the temple, right? And I love it. In verse 12, he says, But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. They, they're totally in tune with everything that God is doing. They know about the discipline that they've experienced. I mean, they're there. They're just so healthy in their relationship with God. They're telling the, the whole thing. He says in verse 3, However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, king Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. So now he brings in the government. Also the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon. Those king Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. That That's probably Zerubbabel as well. So he said to him, take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came, laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction, and it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. See, we can't stop there because right in the middle of it, you know, we got to finish this part. And so, verse 1, King Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Akmetha, this is 300 miles away in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, praise God, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it be firmly laid, its height 60 cubits. I mean, that's 90 feet. It's with 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber, and let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. And let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the people which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. They found the letter. It's all legit. It's totally the Lord, how God had sent them back, right? And they had the approval of Cyrus. And so, verse 6, Therefore, Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, listen to what he says, keep yourselves far from there. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, keep your distance. This is God protecting them. Let the work of this house of God alone. And, and here's the thing, okay? Let me just say this real quick because we're running out of time. 
That's all God has to say from his throne over your life. The enemy comes in and he has a field day because we let him. But then when we start seeking the Lord the way that we should, we rise up at the response of the word of the prophet. God sees that. And then God speaks from his throne. And God, he protects us. And he says, I'm going to be with them and I'm gonna, they're going to finish the work. You see, that's the Lord, you guys. And that's what we need in our life. You know, I was thinking about how we need that fire, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, because we, we putt-putt around and we're wondering, well, why is it, you know, that things aren't like all together? I mean, I, I go to church and, you know, I, I read my Bible every once in a while and, you know, I kind of, I, I, you know, I, I whatever, I send a text message and God, I don't get it. And God is just saying, well, I kind of, you know, I just want your heart. I want, I want you to believe. I don't want you to be afraid, intimidated. I want you to have faith. You know, in who I am, in the fact that I'm with you, in the fact that I'm for you, in the fact that no one can stop me. Are you, are you, do you know who I am, the God of heaven and earth? And are you the servant of the living God? Are you his servant? Yes or no? And when you are, then God, he just begins to move. You guys know this, right? If God moves on your behalf, that no one or nothing can stop him? Because we know that. But a lot of times, you know, we don't let it go from here like to here. And so this is what the Lord will do. He'll protect you, man, and leave him alone. Leave him alone. Leave her alone. Leave those children alone. God will, will say that. And so the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the building of this house. Let the cost be paid at the king's expenses. You guys can't have filet mignon anymore. You've got to give it to them. And <laughs> From the taxes on the region beyond the river, this is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. I mean, think about that. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, I like this, let it be given them day by day without fail. I love that. I mean, everything we will need, everything we would want to serve the Lord that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons, right? That was their motive there as a king of Persia. And also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let it be hanged on it and then let his house be made a refuse heat because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. You guys, what does the Bible say? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Man, I pray we would know that. 
I pray we would live that. That's what we see going on right here. And so in verse 13, then Tatnai, governor of the region beyond the river, uh, Shethar Bosnai and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. And so the elders of the Jews, I love that they built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, and they built, and there's that beautiful word, and finished it. Awesome, huh? According to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. You know, I don't know how much time we have left, you guys. One day we might be there. Maybe we'll, you know, I don't know, go get in a hospital bed. Hopefully, you know, we get raptured. That would be really cool. But you never know, man, down the road, 10 years, 5 years, I don't know, 3 years, 30 years. I'm not sure. But one day you're there and you're looking at death and you're going to cross over to the other side. Will you have a whole bunch of woulda, coulda, shouldas? Will you have a whole bunch of regrets? Because you never really surrendered to the Lord. You never really believed. Like we see these guys did right here. After they responded from the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, they didn't let anything stop them. And that's the way we should be. Because at the end, you want to be able to say, like Paul, I finished the work. Like Jesus, it is finished. Whatever it is that he gave us to do. And so the temple was finished, we read in verse 15, on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And you're going to see the word joy a lot now and from this point forward. And they offered sacrifices of the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Even though three tribes had gone back, only three, all 12 were included in the sacrifices. It's so beautiful, the unity that's represented here. And they assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to do what? In order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And I was reading about this, and you know, the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus was, um, he was, he was separate from sinners. I have to get you guys that reference. But it also says in the book of Matthew that he was friends of tax collectors and sinners. And you know, because we talked about that on Sunday, how he ate with them. How is that possible? Well, it's okay to be in the world, but not out the world. See? And that's what these guys were doing right here. You know, we have to be so careful that we don't, you know, it's okay to get the boat in the water, but not the water in the boat. Right? And so these guys, you know, I love 
the lost. I love sinners, but I love the Lord. And when they had that in their heart, that that element of separation from that, then it's so cool what God did. And so what ends up happening in verse 22, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with what? With joy. For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. You know, just that oh, joy, man. I mean, imagine, you know, finishing the work. And for us, I don't know for sure, maybe it's a little picture of heaven here. I'm not sure. But, you know, if, let's just say if, you know, I mean, no matter what, being there is going to be pretty cool, right? Being in heaven. But imagine if, if we come to that place of absolute surrender, and, and with, with faith, like David. You know, David, here's this little 16-year-old young guy, man, 16 years old. And he's, he's not probably big, you know. He's a good-looking little guy, red hair. He's got some nice-looking eyes. There's nine-foot Goliath. Everyone else is shaking in their boots. But what does David do? He's all, man, I could take this guy. I could take this. How do you know, David? Because I've done it before. I was over there watching the sheep, and I killed a bear. I killed a lion. And God has shown his faithfulness. The reason he showed his faithfulness there on the sidelines is because he knew the day would come when it would be real, when it would make a huge difference. And, and you guys, that's, that's all of us. Imagine if everybody here became a David. Imagine that. You know, or, or it's a female version of that name. I'm not sure. I, I used to know a girl named Davidina, but I don't know how that works. But anyways, all the guys and the gals right here, man. Imagine what God would do, you see? And that's what we need, you guys. We need to have that heart. This is not just for information. You know, this is uh, for, for transformation. This is not just a history lesson. Oh, look what God did then. This is an inspiration for what God can do now. And not just for him or them or that person, but, but for you, you guys, for us. Because when God works and you, you, know, you enter into that, and the Lord has been speaking to me so much about prayer and praying with my wife and praying with my kids and just praying you know, for people and things, whatever it is he'll lay on your heart, you, know, you follow through with that. And as you do, you watch what God will do. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.